And when the knowledge takes place, then also these values help the person to gain an abidance in the knowledge. So these values are those which become the preparations for knowledge. At the same time, having gained the knowledge, abidance in the knowledge. To make that knowledge spontaneous. When alone it is called knowledge, so then also these values are important or required. And when talking about all these values, let us understand that these values are not new to us, they are all there within us. And the opposite, namely manitvam dambhitvam, what we call pride or arrogance or pretentiousness or violence or cruelty or whatever. All of these things are intruders or incidentals, they are not our nature. Meaning that if I do find within myself some anger and these damaging tendencies, let us say, if I find myself, I need not own them up. Meaning that I need not judge myself based on them because they are not my nature. They are intruders, they just have come in. Sometimes what happens that we take the help of some underworld elements, you know, to get things done. Sometimes when our muscular strength is not enough, we take the help of some gundas or some, you know, thugs, whatever, underworld elements, to get things done. They help us. But then a time comes when they become our bosses. This is observed everywhere. In the beginning, you take the help to get things done. Because you want to get it of some opponent, you want to, you know, this is the kind of things you want to do, and therefore you use these elements. But ultimately, they become your bosses. Similarly also, this anger, this resentment, all of these were invited by us when they were necessary to get certain things done. I want to scare somebody away, and so I don't know what what way to do and therefore I use anger. I use aggressiveness. So this anger, aggressiveness, sometimes the resentment, cruelty, pride, arrogance, assertiveness, all of these things I, I resorted to these things to serve a certain purpose. To protect myself sometimes I become angry. To protect myself I become aggressive. I think that if I don't become aggressive, I don't become angry, then I will not be able to protect myself. People will attack me, they will take me for granted, they will walk all over me. And then necessary thing, and you know, so as I was growing up, I found it necessary to have these things and perhaps they helped me also at some point in time. It's possible. There is anger. Swami, if you don't get angry, nothing gets done. That's why sometimes, all right, they help me also. But now I find that all of these are really my enemies. They are my inner, you know, my real inner enemies. Now that my value has changed. As long as I had a different set of values, so long they were alright. But now that my value has changed, now that I have value for inner purification, now that I have value for an inner growth, now I recognize that the liberation or the growth, I mean the happiness is to be found out from my own self. And that involves a process of self-purification. Now that I have understood this, then I realize that all these aggressiveness, assertiveness, anger, all of these which I thought were required, that's what they tell you in the world also. Swamiji, if you're not aggressive, you can't go ahead. You have to assert yourself. You have to make yourself known. You have to sell yourself. And so I learned all of this. I guess they were all required perhaps in the world. But there are various things which I find now as obstacles to me. And so, but I need not judge myself by them. I am not them and they are not me. They are intruders, as I said. Sometimes you leave your doors or gates open and sometimes in India some animals also walk in there, you know. Some cows come in there. If the gate of your uh, ashram is open, the cows come in sometimes, uh, goats also come in and they eat away or grass and things like that. That happens. So similarly, all these fellows have come in because the doors were open. We were not alert. Or we did not know that they were, they were undesirable elements. And so they are there. Okay. Now we have to deal with them and we have to get rid of them. But number one, that I should not judge myself as an angry person, as a greedy person, as a cruel person because this anger, greed, cruelty, pride, they are not my nature. They are not even nature of the mind also. 
Even mind also by nature is pure. Sattvic. So they explain in the process of creation, from sattva guna alone, all our organs of perception and mind are created. So mind also is sattvic by nature. So these are rajas and tamas, these impurities, as I said, are intruders, incidental, because of ignorance. Therefore, ajnanam yat ataha nyata. The opposite is ignorance, because of ignorance. So question is, Swami, why is there evil in this creation? Is all product of ignorance. <coughs> and because of my ignorance also, these tendencies have somehow grown, and with knowledge, with discrimination, I deal with them. So we must know that all of this is ignorance. Anger is ignorance. Greed is ignorance. Any tendency that damages me or disturbs me is ignorance, and all of them have to be dealt with knowledge. Not, you see, as I said, doing something or not doing something is not violence or non-violence. It is not that I do something that is called right or wrong. It is what is the intention behind what I do. It is a perception that is important here. So, this anger, etc. have all come because of wrong perception and by right perception we have to deal with them. So, Lord Krishna says, this pride, etc. are all ignorance, meaning the false perception and the humility, etc. are knowledge, meaning the right perception. So, right perception has to be dealt with, I mean wrong perception has to be dealt with by right perception. It is just like, therefore, it is knowledge all the way. Even what we call values also are really speaking knowledge only. And so as our perception changes, it will also reflect in our activities or in our behavior also. <coughs> so it is not a given behavior which is called the values. It is a given perception which is called the values. It is not a given behavior which is also evil. It is a given perception which is evil. <coughs> That's why Lord Krishna uses the word jnanam and ajnanam. Knowledge and ignorance. <coughs> now continuing. Evihi sadhanehi kimnyayam. If Lord, these are what you call the means of knowledge, what is that you have to know with this means? So what do we have to know with this? That's what Lord Krishna now proceeds to describe, beginning from 12th verse. The 12th verse is what we call the proposition, pratigna. <coughs> Jeyam yattat pravakshyami Yajnatva amrita masnure Anadimat param brahma Nasattanna saduchyate Yajnayam tat pravakshyami Gnayam. See the word Jnanam? Gnayam. The original root is Gnya. Gnya means to know. Gnata means knower. Jnanam means knowledge. Gnayam, that which is known. See, in every transaction, these three factors are involved. Like the seer, the seen, and seeing. The knower, the known, and knowing. These three make up every transaction. This is called Tripoti. This three triad, this makes up every transaction. And so, in the context of Jnana means to know, the knower is the Jnata, that which is known is called Jnayam, and the experience that comes by contact of the two is called Jnanam, the knowledge. So, Jnata, Jnayam, Jnanam. So, Jnanam is described, Amanitvam, Madambhitvam, and we should also say that jnana means means of jnana, meaning sharvanam mananam, vedanta vichara, so vedantasa vicharana, jayate jnana uttam, it is by the vedantasa vichara, and inquiring the meaning of the Upanishad that the knowledge arises. So, when these means are employed, what is to be known is called jnayam. So, what is to be known? Lord Krishna uses the word jnayam, that which is to be known. Also that which should be known, that which has to be known. Because the choiceless choice, in fact, we are born all as mumukshus without any choice. Each one is born with an inherent desire to become free. 
that I being a self-conscious person, I find myself to be bound, inadequate. And there is a natural urge to be free from every sense of inadequacy. This is natural. So that desire is called the desire for moksha. Thus, I am a moksha by birth, not by choice. And therefore, I don't have a choice in seeking moksha. And until, therefore, until that desire is fulfilled, this effort will go on. What is it that explains this continuous birth or succession of birth and death is this desire. There is an agenda. There is an agenda with which I am born. And until that agenda is over, I will keep on seeking. If that search is not over in this embodiment, where I'll go for another embodiment to continue my search. And that's how understand this process has been going on from a long time. It is not that we have started in this life only, it may look as though, but everybody says, Swami, or many people say, Swami, just lucky. How you are lucky? Oh, Swami, you know something? This neighbor of mine once came to me and said, if Swami is coming to our house, would you like to come and listen? I went and listened, that turned out to be his Swamiji. And then I learned that, oh, there is a Gurukulam here. Then I learned that all these programs are here. And I started coming. I'm really very fortunate. So when we look at our life, each one of us will find some event like this. So Sri Ramana asked me, someday I would like to know how it all happened to you, they tell me, you know. But anyway, something like this. Some chance event that you happen to know that some lecture is there. Somebody is visiting. And that becomes a beginning. And that seems to then initiate a whole chain of events wherein we don't even have so much of will or even it's not our doing also things just seem to keep happening that shows that this was all waiting when the time comes then it keeps on happening it means this is an ongoing process and that we are born with this agenda of moksha so it is a choiceless choice of course and so that being the case and knowledge being the only means, therefore, gnayam, that which has to be known. The thing is that, inasmuch as the bondage is purely a product of ignorance, this is what Vedanta is. All bondage, all sense of limitation, all sense of inadequacy with which I think I am suffering, all that suffering is only due to ignorance. Ignorance of what? Ignorance of the true nature of myself. Not knowing who it, who I am. Not only that, but knowing myself to be wrongly, meaning that not knowing that I am ever free, not knowing that Purna or a whole or complete being I am, but taking myself to be incomplete. Why is it so, Swamiji? Why is this ignorance? I don't know. But this is, ignorance is there. And this ignorance also is very peculiar. This ignorance is not merely absence of knowledge. Not only not knowing myself, but knowing myself wrongly. Understand? You should understand. It is a, in the rope snake example that I see a snake there. That is because of the ignorance of the rope. Because what is lying in front of me is a piece of rope. And I perceive a snake there. Because I do not know that what is lying there is rope. Meaning that I am ignorant of rope. But this ignorance does not stop at prevent depriving me of the perception of rope, but it creates in me a false perception of the snake. It is that false perception which is the cause of fear. Rope itself, or even not knowing rope also would not have caused fear, but it is false perception which is the cause of fear. And similarly, false perception about myself. Not knowing, so the self is always experienced, but not experienced as it should be or not known as it's always known, but not known as it should be. So what it is, is Purnaha, whole and complete being, but for some reason it is taken to be incomplete. It's what we call a misapprehension or a wrong perception about myself. It is this wrong perception which is the cause of all my suffering. There is no other cause as far as Vedanta is concerned. There is no other cause for suffering in this world. I cannot be cause of suffering because I am ever complete, I am ever whole, so whole, complete or infinite cannot be the cause of suffering. No, Swamiji, world is cause of suffering, but the world cannot touch me. The snake cannot touch the rope. You understand, the snake 
cannot ever touch or influence a rope. Meaning that a snake cannot poison the rope. Just as mirage water cannot wet the sand. And similarly also the mithya can never influence or have any impact upon the satyam. And so world which is the projection of mithya cannot have any effect upon the self. So world also cannot be cause of suffering. Therefore Lord Krishna would say, Ashochan Anvashochaswam. Neither satyam nor mithya, neither atma nor anatma, neither nitya nor anitya, none of them can be cause of suffering. It is lumping them together, taking one thing for the other. It is misperception of them. That's the cause of suffering. And this misperception of myself. And so, when that perception is corrected, when there is right perception, then all suffering just goes. It is as simple as that. All right, let us say this right perception also is a process. Endeavor, it is not that someday the suffering will go. It keeps on going. As my perception keeps on getting corrected, my notions are getting, you know, I recognize them as notions. And then, the sense of limitation that notions cause, it keeps on dropping. And someday everything will be gone, and I will own up my, you know, unconditional freedom totally. <coughs> but therefore, since all bondage, all sense of limitation, all suffering is caused by ignorance, therefore, knowledge alone is the solution or only means for becoming free. This is the basic thesis of Vedanta. This is what Vedanta teaches. That every problem, meaning every suffering, arises from ignorance. We should do that. We should, whenever I feel sad, whenever I feel hurt, whenever I feel upset, usually my tendency is to look at somebody else. You know, this person caused it. That caused me. Maybe they did. Maybe somebody caused, somebody insulted me, somebody hurt me, somebody provoked me, somebody did this. But they can manage to do that, they can be successful in doing that. They can be successful in making me unhappy or sad only when I cooperate with them. I allow them to hurt me, then alone they can hurt me. How do I allow them to hurt me? By, you know, they hurt my body. If I take the body to myself, will I get hurt? Is it not so that sometimes when there is a scratch on my car, then I feel there is a scratch on my heart, you know? <laughs> that is because I am connected, identified with it. And that's how when something happens to my child, and it happens to me. Because of identification. So this is called identification. That happens in one place and is felt in another place. Identifying with the body-mind complex, as we'll see. So, it is that I cooperate also. If I did not cooperate, then nothing can make me sad or unhappy. This we should know. At least we will not totally... Then they become instrumental. All they become the occasions to create that. I wish they were not there. But then, as I said, the world becomes only instrumental. We like sprinkle the salt on the wound. Sprinkle the salt on the wound. But the wound is there to begin with. Then alone, the sprinkling salt will give you pain. If there is no wound, you can sprinkle whatever salt you want. So I used to give another example of tightening, you know, that nut you tighten. Tighten. But suppose all the uh, threads are worn out, you know. Keep tightening. Nothing happens because threads are worn out. So when tightening takes place, there is someone who tighten. But then the threads are there which make themselves available for being tightened. And if these threads are not there, they're worn out, they keep on, whatever they do. So, this also we should remember, that in every experience of my pain or suffering, that I also have a contribution to make. And that is due to the wrong perception about myself, caused due to ignorance of myself. This we should always keep in mind, that at least we will not be overcome by grief. Even when grief arises, I can look at the mechanism and say, wait a minute, this person did something. Okay, what is my part in it? I'll find out then. I wish you trace everything to ignorance or to wrong perception of myself. <coughs> Therefore, Vedanta says that jnana devadu kaivalyam, that kaivalyam, the moksha can be there only by knowledge. <coughs>
And that's what Lord Krishna says. Yayam yatvat pravakshami, pravakshami, prakarshena yathavad vakshami. Very often Lord Krishna says that way, pravakshami, prakarshena vakshami. I will tell you very well. I will tell you until you see it. This is amazing, isn't it? I don't know why should Lord Krishna feel so compelled, but he seems to compare, be compelled that Arjuna should know it. That must be pure compassion, otherwise you can give a lecture and then let him do, you know, can go away. <coughs> Lord Krishna did not do that. He could have given one or two discourses. In fact, in, his th- in the three chapters everything was told. And Lord Krishna was concluding his discourse. So beginning of fourth chapter of the Gita is nothing but conclusion of Bhagavad Gita. So Lord Krishna is concluding his operation by just saying that, you know, this is the traditional knowledge coming down from the beginning's time, you know, just to create faith or trust in that knowledge. And if Arjuna did not ask the question, it would have, you know, concluded that. But Arjuna asked the question and that's how it went on. But Lord Krishna does not give Ravakshami, Prakarshena Vakshami. In the 18th chapter also, Lord Krishna asked Arjuna, Kachideta Shrutam Partha Tvaita Garena Chetasa Kachida Jnana Sammoha Pranasaste Dhanandiya Hey Arjuna, have you listened to what I said carefully? With, with focused attention? With an attentive mind? Have you listened to what I say? And is your delusion and all your grief, is it all gone? Lord Krishna asked this at the end of the, at the 18th chapter. Suppose Arjuna said, Thank God Arjuna says, Nashto moha suratir labda. Oh Lord, my moha delusion is gone. Suratir labda. Now I see the truth clearly. Suppose Arjuna did not say that. Arjuna said, Lord, still my delusion is not gone. So what was the purpose of asking that question? Shankaracharya explained. The purpose of asking the question shows the commitment on the part of the Lord. That if Arjuna had said, that now still things are not clear to me, then he would have continued his discourse. Then he would have Bhagavad Gita longer than 18 chapters. So, it's a commitment. There means something in those people, you know. That, that commitment is there. And so, they just want to see that the student learns, understand that he is liberated. That seems to be their business. <coughs> and so in Upanishads also we find like a Thopanisha, same thing being told in different ways, giving different insights, different perspectives. So, Pravakshami is a statement like Prakarshayana Vakshami. I will tell you, I will tell you very well. I will tell you until you know also. So, Pravakshami, Yeyam, that which is to be known, this is what I will tell you. All right, suppose Lord will tell me, and I will know that. But what's the benefit? What do I stand to gain by that? So Lord Krishna says, Yajnatva Amrutam Mashnute. Yajnatva, knowing which? Amrutam. One gains Amrutam, the ambrosia, Amrutattam, immortality. So gaining which or knowing which, one gains immortality. This is another word that we find being used in the Upanishads, in Vedanta, Amrutattam. Na karmana na prajayadhane na tyage neke amrutatvamanshu. Amrutatvam, immortality. So we can say that a human being is searching for immortality, another way of looking at it. What do you want? I want to be immortal. I want to be free. I want to be all-knowing. And so all the urges that we have can be classified in these three categories. One urge is that I want to live. How long do I want to live? Forever. I want to be immortal. I do not want that my existence should be wiped out. I do not want death. I do not want that I should not be there. I always want to be there. Always want to push the death as far as possible. And if I had my way, I want to be immortal. Swamiji granted, will be immortal. No, wait a minute. That's all right. Immortal I want to be. But then, you will get older and older and older and more infirm and miserable. No, not that kind of immortality. I also want Sukham. I do not want Dukkha. So one thing I do not want in my life is Mrityu death. Other thing that I do not want is Dukkham or unhappy pain. I don't want. 
And third thing I do not want is ignorance. These three things I do not want. I don't want to be branded as a stupid person. Or, you know, I always like to be a wise or a, you know, I always like to be an informed person, wise person, knowing person. So there is a love for knowledge, there is love for happiness, there is love for living. And therefore sometimes moksha is described with all knowledge. Knowing which, nothing remains to be known. Sometimes moksha is described that way. Kasvindam bhagavad saranadam vijnadam bhagavad Oh, revered sir, what is it? Knowing which, everything is as well known. So sometimes that desire of the human heart is expressed as desire to know everything. Sometimes expressed as desire to be immortal. Sometimes expressed as desire for ananda. I want to cross the ocean of grief. It's all the same. So, all knowledge, all existence, or all ananda, all of that amounts to the same thing. So, here Lord Krishna says, Yajnatva Amrita Mashnate, knowing which one gains immortality. <coughs> Meaning, one becomes immortal. That means one is not affected by death. That means one is not affected by pain. One is not affected by ignorance. <coughs> An interesting thing is, Yajnatva Amrita Mashnate, by knowing which one becomes immortal. You tell me, how can you become something by knowing something? See, Yajnatva Amrita Mashnute. Mashnute means one attains immortality by knowing which one attains immortality. Can you attain something by knowing something? Oh, I know. Kashmir, doesn't mean that I, I attain Kashmir. Knowing is one thing, achieving is another thing. But here Lord Krishna says, by knowing which one attains or achieves immortality. <coughs> if by knowing which one achieves something, that means what? That was only separated from me, my ignorance. It's like saying that by knowing the tenth man, I attain the tenth man. One, one case, where the knowledge and attainment are one. Knowing the tenth man is attaining the tenth man. Is it not so? Why is it? Because I am already the tenth man. It is ignorance that deprives me of this fact that I am the tenth man. And similarly, I am already immortal. Ignorance of myself deprives me of this benefit of being immortal. And therefore, knowing that I am immortal is achieving the immortality because immortality is my nature is already an existing fact. <coughs> so this is an important statement. Yajnatva Amrita Mashnate by knowing which one attains immortality. So Lord Krishna said earlier, Tattva Jnanartha Darshanam always keeping in mind the purpose of the knowledge. What's the purpose of knowledge? Gaining immortality. Gaining infinite happiness. Gaining unconditional freedom. <coughs> So, Lord Krishna praises the knowledge. This is called Arthava. That's called praising the knowledge. Now I'm going to give you a discourse on Nyayam, on that which is to be known, which is Brahman or the Self. But Arjuna may say, why should I listen to you? Because knowing that, you'll become immortal. Oh, then I want to listen. So, first creating a value. Even Lord Krishna in many places says this to Arjuna in order to arrest Arjuna's attention, in order to make him interested, to induce, to make him interested by inducing the interest in him, by inducing the, the, the by giving the incentive in terms of the reward. So Arjuna says, hey, by knowing this, I become immortal? Yes, then I want to know. Then Lord Krishna says, what is it that he is going to talk about? So Lord Krishna says, I am now going to talk about Gnayam. What is it? Anadimat Param Brahma Nasatvanna Saduchyate. Param Brahma. Param Brahma is what I am going to talk about. So word Brahman is used here. It was used in the 8th chapter also. 7th and 8th chapters. It is used again. Param Brahma. You know very well, Brahman means limitless. What Brahman is derived from the root Brukh, in the sense of Rudhav, in the sense of growth. In the sense of bigness, 
in the sense of greatness. So Brahman is that which is big or great, unqualified big or unqualified great. Brahman means that which is limitless, which is whole, which is complete. So what we call Purna Madaha, Purna Vidam. So Brahman is, Purna is another word for Brahman. So Brahman means limitless, Brahman means Purna, it means it is complete. And what is Param Brahman? Sometimes the word Brahman also is used in more than one sense. Brahman, word Brahman is used for Nirgunam Brahman, for Saguna Brahman, for Vedas, for Brahmana. In different sense, the word Brahman is used. But word Brahman is used also for Saguna Brahman. So Lord Krishna is Param Brahman. Param meaning that which is free from every limitation. That means Nirgunam Brahman, Nirvishesham Brahman. Here, Arjuna, I am going to now talk to you about or explain to you Nirgunam Brahman, Nirvishesham Brahman. When in Brahman or God, there is reward of every qualification. <coughs> this is another thing about the Vedantin. All the time talking about Nirupasikam, Nirvishesham. Nirvishesham, free from every Vishesha, every qualification, free from every attribute. Swami, is this God free from every attribute? Even omniscience, omnipotent, omnipresent, all of these are attributes. Sarvajna, Sarvashaktiman, Sarvavyapi, the creator, sustainer, dissolver, the ordainer, karma Faladata, the dispenser of the results of the action, karma adjaksha, the witness, the presiding over all the karmas. All of these are only attributes. In reality, Brahman, the absolute reality, is free from even these attributes. Free from creatorship, free from, you know, that the creator, sustainer, dissolver. So, Swami explained in great detail how Ishwara is a creator and how creator must have the knowledge of what is to be created. The creator must have the power of what is to be created. Therefore, he must be all-knowing because he creates everything. He must have all power because he creates everything. But understand that this all-knowing, all-power, all of these are only attributes. In fact, the truth is even beyond these concepts of all-knowledge and all-power and everything. So, therefore, Param Brahma, Nirgunam Brahma, Nirvishesham Brahman, Brahman that is reward of all the attributes. How is it? Anadimat. So, Adimat, Adi means beginning. Adimat, possessed of the beginning. Anadimat, that which does not possess the beginning, meaning that which is beginningless, <coughs> which has no beginning. Meaning that even when everything was so, before creation also, everything has a beginning. Everything that is created has a beginning. But then, when everything is created, one that is not created. This question, sometimes children ask us, Swamiji, if God created world, then who created God? Answer is Anadimat. When everything is created, then also who is ever present, who is never created, who is ever present. To be is whose nature. <coughs> so Anadimat. Adi, Adi means beginning, Adi also means cause. So which has no cause to be. It is just the nature of Brahman. That is true. It is the nature of the reality that it is. And that it sustains everything. <coughs> so Anadimat Param Brahman. This is what I am going to talk to you about. How is it? Nasat. Tat na asaduchyade. That name or Brahman is neither called Asat nor called Asat. See, Lord Krishna has started describing Brahman as what? Nasat tan na asaduchyade. It cannot, it is called neither Sat nor Asat. <coughs> it is neither existent nor non-existent. It is neither so being nor non-being. Sat means that which is. Asat means that which is not. So it cannot be described that as is or is not. So we just wonder, oh Lord, with you made a very big proposition that now I am going to talk to you about Brahman, knowing which you become immortal. And you prepared me to listen. And now that I am ready to listen, you say that we cannot call it Sat and we cannot call it Asat. 
we cannot call it this, we cannot call it that. We cannot say that it is like this, we cannot say it is not like this. We cannot say anything about it. Then what are you telling us? So having proposed, made the pratigna that I am going to tell you about Brahman, this is what he said. And so it is very frustrating for everybody, you know, listening to this because, as you said, this is always the method in which Brahman is in fact unfolded by the scriptures. Na tatra chakshur gachade, na vaag gachade, na manaha. It cannot be perceived by the sense organs of perception, it cannot be described by the words, it cannot be thought of by the mind. Anya devatad vididat, atho avididat adhi. It is different from the known, it is different from the unknown. So now already Lord Krishna has embarked with something very profound. So, what's the nature of truth? What's the nature of reality? What's the nature of self? What is the nature of God? It cannot be said to be like this or not like that. It, in short, it cannot be described as such and such in any word. In short, no word is adequate to describe God. So how about word God? Does it describe it or not? Even that doesn't describe it. How about Brahman? Does it describe it? No. How about the word Atma? Does it describe it? No. There's no word that can describe it. And so Upanishad says, Yato vacho nivardante aprapya manasasaha That from which the words return along with the mind. So that from which or without reaching which, the words return along with the mind. In short, that which cannot be described in words, nor it can be thought of or visualized by the mind. <coughs> so what should we you know from So in Kenopanishad the same kind of tug of war goes on between the student and the teacher, you know. The teacher says, the student asks this question, what is it because of which uh, my mind thinks? What is because of which my eyes see? What is it because of which my ears hear? What is because of the prana function? What is it? Then teacher says, it is the ear of the ear. It is the mind of the mind. It is the prana of the prana. It is the eye of the eye. Says what? Is there some other eye inside? Some other prana inside? Some other ear inside? Says no, that is not what is meant. It is that because of which the prana performs its functions, that because of which the eyes see, that because of which the mind thinks. That which the eyes cannot see but because of which the eyes see, that which the mind cannot comprehend but because of which the mind comprehends, that which cannot be heard by the ears or that because of which the ears hear. This is all the talk. Frustrating the student? It looks like frustrating. We are frustrated whenever we hear this. Why are we frustrated? Because we always look for God. When we always look for Brahman someplace out there. We want to see Him. We want to feel Him. We want to experience Him. We want to visualize Him. Then alone we say that I have known something only when I can, I can objectify it. So when have you known a flower? When I can objectify it. When flower can become an object of my knowledge. When I can perceive it. Where I can visualize in my mind. Anya aso It is different from the known and yet it is different from the unknown. What is the teacher trying to do here? The teacher says, look, you are looking for Brahman out there. But it's not out there. What cannot be seen by the eyes, but that because of which the eyes see. So what the teacher says is that, so far you always been paying attention to what is seen by the eyes, and looking for God there, but God is not confined to what is seen by the eyes, that because of which the eyes see. Now look at that. So when I hold this flower in my hand, everybody can see the flower. And we see the flower. But more often than not, 
we do not make note of that because which the flower is seen, you know. The flower is seen by me, perceived when? When the flower is illumined by the light. But usually the light goes unnoticed. Similarly also, I see the objects of the world. Alright, how do I see? Oh, because of the eyes. But eyes also see because of what? Because of the mind. The mind also sees because of what? Because of the self, the consciousness. And so, it is consciousness because of which the mind thinks. It is that because of which the eyes see. That because of which the ears hear. And therefore, here the teacher is saying that, rather than looking for Brahman somewhere else, this is a way of, in fact, withdrawing our mind and making it focused upon ourselves. Say, you want to see Brahman as different from yourself, but it is your own self. But teacher doesn't say that Brahman is your own self. If I am told you Brahman is your own self, then I think you are fine now. Because I know I am a doer, I am an enjoyer, I am sukhi dukhi, that is Brahman, no? So, to say that Brahman is your own self, the self also must be clarified. You are Brahman when it is said, what is meant by you? That because of which I see, that because of which the mind thinks, that because of which the ears hear, that because of everything, but that which cannot be seen or heard or thought of, that is you, and that is Brahman. In short, the teacher is asking us here to give up all the attempts to hear, to see, to visualize, to think, to, and thus drop all those attempts and recognize Brahman as your own self. So this description, the description is given in this way so that our normal tendency always to visualize, always to look for something outside of myself, that tendency has to be dropped. And when the mind becomes then free from any attempt to see or visualize, it is that mind that recognizes that what I am looking for is my own self. And so to see myself as Brahman, it is necessary that mind should become free from all attempts to see something else. Because mind directed outward and mind directed to self, they cannot go on simultaneously. And therefore the mind must be released from its attempt to see out and be resolved that what I am looking for is my own self. So nasat tat na asad It is neither called sat nor called asad. This is a language that Upanishad used. This is called the language of negation. Asada aveshaha neti neti. Now the instruction is naiti naiti. Not this, not this. It is not this, not this, not this. Thus in the in the in the language of negation, the Upanishads communicate to us. Negating what? Negating the non-self. Negating my notion that what I am seeking is different from me. So I am seeking immortality. I am seeking freedom. At the same time, there is already a conclusion on my part that immortality has to be found elsewhere. The freedom has to be found elsewhere. And that very notion has to drop. When the mind becomes resolved, it is not elsewhere. It should be discovered as my own self. Then it is prepared to understand this. So anyway, Lord Krishna is going to explain this, but the idea is that he makes a beginning like this. This is a word which proposes what it is that he's going to talk about. Anadimat param brahma nasat tanan tan asad uchyate. It is neither called asad nor it is called asad. <coughs> okay, we'll leave it here at this point. Uh, also, just to... The reason why it, why it cannot be perceived and cannot be described also is very simple as you say, because what can be perceived, only that which has some kind of a quality or qualification alone can be perceived. Like the eyes can only perceive the colors and the forms, ear can only perceive the, the sounds, and thus anything that has some quality, that alone can be objectified by me. My organs of perception can perceive that there is some quality. Jati, Kriya, Guna, Samanda, some kind of a genus is there, Either some activity is there, some attribute is there, some relation is there, then alone an object can be described in words, or then alone it can be perceived by the sense organs, or then alone it can be visualized by the mind. But Brahman or the self being devoid of all of this, that's the reason why the organs of perception, organs of action, the mind, they do not have any role. They have the role, no doubt, in perceiving and knowing the objects of the world. 
when it comes to knowing myself, all those activities should cease. So, Upanishad says, Yada Panchavatishthande Gnanani Manasasaha. When all the five organs of perception, along with the mind, then all they become quiet. Not sleeping, but quiet. We don't want the mind should go to sleep. Mind remains awake. With this kind of study, but at the same time the mind stops its function of trying to project or trying to see. So it is not a projecting mind, but a seeing mind. And to, you know, to acquire that kind of mind, this Upadesha has given. So mind is poised to see the nature of one's own self. Because self is that which is free from every attribute. And therefore, attempts to perceive, etc., which are based on thinking that it possesses attributes, they are stopped here. And it's for that purpose that the Upanishads and Bhagavad Gita also following the same trend, describe Brahman in this way, in the language of negating all the attributes, negating all the upanis, negating all the qualifications. That which is free from every attribute, is free from every qualification. Meaning that doesn't require any qualification to be what it is. Doesn't require any attribute to be what it is. All qualifications are because of which, all attributes are because of which, itself is free from every attribute and every qualification. And that is yourself. And knowing that, that you become immortal. This is the message that is given here in this verse. And this idea will be subsequently expanded in other verses also. Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamurachyade Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashashyade Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutavande Bhagavanta Upunapunaha Ishvara Guru Rasmeve Murti Hevi Bhagine Yoma Vajapta Dehaya 